Value Stack podcast is now sponsored by Coinbeast.com. If you need extra one-on-one time to get your Bitcoin questions answered, book a call with a Bitcoin pro at Coinbeast Connect to get expertise you need with topics ranging from security, privacy, mining, Lightning Network, and more. It's easy to get started. Simply go to Coinbeast.com, click Connect at the top of the page, and book a call with the pro for the topic that you'd like to discuss. So uh, thank you guys at Coinbeast for sponsoring this show and um, check them out at coinbeast.com to get the Bitcoin support you need. Now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 13 of the Value Stack Podcast. I'm Bo, also go by Shaper Funds on Twitter, and I'm here with my esteemed co-host, BTC Bap. How you doing today, BTC Bap? Yo, yo, happy Friday. Back. Glad you're healthy. I I survived COVID. Which one did you have? Was it uh, Delta... Omicron, do you know the variant? I, I want to believe I had my own variant. I uh, I did the at-home test, so I know I'm, I was positive, and, and that's the extent of it. But um, I, I've had it twice now, and the second time, it's just almost as bad as the first. Yeah. Yeah, well, good that you're back. Um, yeah. Fortunately... Bitcoin took some time off as well, uh, at least in the going up part. Uh, <laughs> yeah, got some things to cover. We're going to talk about today. We'll talk about the updates in Cash App uh, and supporting Lightning Network and largely, uh, or in, in their parent company, uh, Block. Uh, and then I think Bo, you were going to talk tell us about is it Costa Rica and the yeah. Sahado. Price to hodl ratio. Yeah. So if, uh, if, if anyone follows the writings of Nick Carter, he talks a lot about how Bitcoin is actually accelerating the transition to green energy and renewable energy. And um, I think it kind of flies in the face of what normies understand, because if you read the mainstream media, it's all, you know, how there'll be no oceans left if, if Bitcoin continues to grow. And, um, and and so just a, a cool recent example was down in Costa Rica, there was a hydro plant that had been decommissioned um, and uh, they just got it back online uh, when the owner realized that Bitcoin mining, a second revenue source, makes it profitable. And, um, you know, Costa Rica is just one example, but you're seeing this all over the place uh, with a lot of green energy, uh, whether it's it's hydro from rivers or it's based on uh, the sunlight and solar or the wind and um, wind farms, they the most common problem is the mismatch between supply and demand. You can't make the wind blow or the sunshine when you need the electricity. And the way electricity grids work is you consume the electricity as it's being created. And 
So, uh, you know, solar farms, wind farms, what they're finding is those times when the sun's beating down and there isn't a lot of demand for electricity or the wind's blowing, but there's not a lot of demand for electricity, they can send less to the grid and mine Bitcoin with that excess energy. And it's leveling off grids and uh, making the business models of renewable energy uh, more viable. And so um, it's just, uh, it, it's cool to see that happen. I think uh, eventually people will wake up to this fact that Bitcoin mining requires the lowest cost electricity. And that often right. comes from otherwise wasted or stranded energy sources. And, uh, and that happens to be renewable or tends to be renewable. So. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I guess we, our first part of the episode will really be focused on like mining and what's been going on lately. Um, mm -hmm. I think one, um, there's been a lot of coaster. So we talk about the demand and kind of like the stable leveling out of the demand with the sort of buyer last resort, the Bitcoin mm -hmm. network for that energy. Um, right. So like, I know in like Southern Wyoming, it's very windy, but as you mentioned, people don't use power 24 seven, or at least not to the same degree. There's peak right. hours and mm -hmm. uh, off peak hours and shoulder hours. And you sometimes even those rates are all different. Um, yep. But like, yeah, if you have a stable demand, you could e e offset the drop in organic energy consumption with Bitcoin consumption. Because really the mm -hmm. most important, their most expensive part of their power bill is like that demand adjustment for like peak usage. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, at least as far as I know, um, you know, I've talked with uh, at Blockbane uh, and we've, he's told me about how, let's say like a bar or restaurant, like let's say a nightclub, they're, they use a lot more electricity for a few hours in, in the evening uh, than in us, particularly on the weekends with music and all the things going on then, uh, then they do the rest of, you know, at, on, on a Wednesday at, at 11 in the morning. And so mm -hmm. what they can do is mine Bitcoin to, to the, to the amount that they use at peak demand and use that to have a level, uh, level load. Uh, and it helps the energy companies forecast demand more accurately. So it kind of helps the grid in a way. Um, mm -hmm. but it also, because they are charged a lot based on this peak load, uh, the incremental costs to do this aren't that bad. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, this helps decentralize. The more that people can take these, even if it's like very small time renewable projects, or I mean, Costa Rica is not that small, but, um, you know, even like if it's in like your, your community, local community, there could be like, you know, Bitcoin mining wherever there's renewable energy and access to it. Um, yeah. So I think that that's a good, a good segue to our next topic, um, which was, should we talk about like the price to hodl ratio or, uh, or, or square? Yeah. Lock? I, I, I want to make one quick bookshelf. Um, it's kind of a, a meta bookshelf because I got 
uh, this recommendation from Harry Suddick, who I, th I think he recommended it on uh, on uh, Preston Pitch's podcast. CEO. No, Harry Suddick, he, uh, is it uh, Grid Technologies or something like that? I, I, I could be off, but he recommended the book, um, The Grid by Gretchen Bach. And I went and read the book and yeah. it's not at all about Bitcoin, but it's fascinating. You just learn so much about the history of the grid, like in the United States. And it's just fascinating because it includes all the biggest names, um, uh, the, the standard oil, um, guy, obviously, um, uh, Rockefeller, or... Rockefeller, exactly. So Rockefeller Edison incel was actually the business mind behind, uh, Edison. Edison is kind of an idiot. Incel is basically the reason his like right-hand man is the reason why that we have these energy grid these utility monopolies across the US. Um, of course, Nikola Tesla was heavily involved in all that. So um, really fascinating history with the grid, but then also talks about like modern day issues because the grid was built around nuclear, you know, oil, coal, these like energy sources that we can turn on and off. And we're like in, you know, we're in control of our own destiny and the production of electricity. But of course, these days, as more people have solar on their house and uh, we're relying more on renewable energy sources, the grid's just not built for it. So until battery technology becomes far more advanced, um, Bitcoin is kind of acting as that that battery, at least from an economical standpoint. Um, so yeah, read the grid. It's, a, it's an awesome book, but we'll move on. Let's talk about the price to HODL ratio. Um, and, and Zach, you sent me this and it was looking at the publicly traded Bitcoin miners and at least a, a, a heuristic or a, a simple way to value them because they are kind of hard to value given the nature of their business, mining Bitcoin, which is fluctuating in price in USD terms. And then some of them sell more Bitcoin than others. Uh, but the price to HODL ratio is looking at the market cap divided by the US dollar value of their Bitcoin holdings. And it gives you a ratio that you can at least get an idea of, of how these companies are, are valued differently. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like how many, what are the shares worth relative to, to Bitcoin? Yeah. Uh, and the Bitcoin that they hold. Yeah. I mean, I think that the more, the larger the company, the larger their ability to withstand these drawdowns. Um, because they have more capital, um, that being said, they also might have more debt, which I think the price to HODL does not account for. Right. That's not what we were. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is the idea is that yeah. like Bitcoin's the only money that matters. So it doesn't matter like what their balance sheet is or their earnings are. Um, and Bitcoin has to be marked to market, but even if they sell it or don't sell it, it doesn't matter. It has to be marked anyway. So it's really like a, the price to earnings, which is what you might use as a traditional valuation metric, or maybe even a price to sales. They don't have sales. They don't really, you know, there's just, it's very hard to, to value Bitcoin companies, particularly mining companies, particularly those that issue new shares with dilution at the same time that they're mining Bitcoin. 
there's just so many moving levers. Um, might as well throw a dart at a board. Uh, <laughs> and that's basically what you know you do when you invest in a Bitcoin mining company. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, you know, I think it gives a degree of confidence. Like you can get a relative valuation. So according to this article, it's saying that Hut Eight and Bit Farms are kind of more more fairly valued, and Marathon and Riot are higher valued. Um, but there's also an understanding why they're higher valued. In a similar way that the growth stocks are valued at higher multiples because they have ability to capitalize on larger growth in the future. So. Um, these are sort of leverage bets in both directions. If the Bitcoin miners are doing really well and you have taken out a ton of debt to get a ton of miners, then you're going to leverage cap to the upside, right? But if you've taken out a ton of debt and you have all these miners and Bitcoin does really poorly, you have leveraged ex additional leverage exposure to the downside. So I think that people are relatively bullish on Bitcoin, which is why these uh, larger miners with larger debt and larger hash rates are... Uh, and faster expansion plans are uh, valued at a higher rate, but uh, I think that's why they're saying Bit Farms looks uh, attractive relative to peers. Yeah, yeah, it's like, um, yeah, like like you said, um, like it, it's a bit like companies. Um, you could pay a higher multiple, and it's not a good decision. And you could pay a higher multiple because it's just higher quality, and it's worth paying a higher multiple. So. Right, and that's why investing is not just black and white. You know, it's, it takes some nuance and expertise to figure figure those things out. Right. Um, right. And speaking of mining, yeah, these big these big mining companies, right? The larger they get, the more centralized the hash rate gets. The more of that threat that is to the network potentially. So Jack Dorsey came out uh, about Block, which is Square. For those of you that haven't seen the update, <laughs> um, but they changed their name to Block. Block is now building out some mining at home. It sounds to be at home mining. A lot of it's speculation still, um, but we'll see what comes out. I couldn't really find all that many specifics other than we put together a list of like some, I guess what we call speculative requirements, right? Bo, there was, it got, it's got to be quiet. Uh, compared to like your normal ASICs, it needs to be uh, able to plug into your average power. Uh, I think that having to have two 40 volt power is not going to cut it. But you mentioned a good point and like, okay, sure. Well, if we give those two things, uh, how, how do you going to be competitive? Yeah, exactly. So it's, uh... maybe, you know, maybe you want to elaborate on that a bit and uh, yeah, we'll dive. Yeah. I, it. I... I can kind of see both sides of this. Like on, on one hand, there is, uh, you know, we're talking about these publicly traded mining companies. They're really large. Um, and then you have these centralized companies like, um, oh, I forgot the name before the podcast. What's the name of the, um, the sponsor of... Compass. Compass Mining. Yeah. So... They're hosting a lot of hash rate on behalf of a lot of people, but that's centralizing the, the hash rate in one company in one area. So I can see the beauty in decentralizing it. People can run little at-home mining operations similar to how they run nodes. But um, the thing about Bitcoin mining is that it's not 
profitable unless you have pretty cheap electricity. And that's certainly not uniform. As you look across the United States, there's people in certain states, I imagine California as an example of a place that um, it's not economical. So um, I I, I see the beauty in what he's saying, but how practical is it? Unless Jack Dorsey thinks that Bitcoin's going to millions. In which case the hash rate is going to climb because mining will be the most profitable thing on earth. Yeah. Isn't the cost to tell me if I'm off base, but isn't the average cost to mine a Bitcoin right now, like 29 grand. It really depends on what you pay for the, for the miner and what your electricity rate is. I mean, bit farms gets coins as far as I know, like under 10 K in cost of production. Yeah. 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 But, uh, you know, if you were to try to mine at home with a go buy a ten thousand dollar ant miner right now, one of the newer additions, and your cost of production is going to be at twelve cents a kilowatt hour, probably forty fifty k today. Yeah. But it may be much higher than that with the difficulty by the time you get a block uh, a year from now. Like you know, or you know, a year from now, like difficulty will be much higher, especially as more people start mining at home. Um, and, and speaking of mining at home, did you see that solo block? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Lone wall. Talk, talk about a, uh, I, I imagine thing. it, I imagine Dude. it was like a 16 year old kid somewhere plugged in a miner, hope, got a block, earned, earned 6.25 Bitcoin. I hope so, dude. That would, that's gotta be like, just a matter you know, waking up. You're like, what? a quarter million dollars. <laughs> uh, they said it couldn't be done. You told them it could. <laughs> yeah, man. Oh, and, but, uh, you know, probably not a good idea to loan mine. That was a statistical anomaly. That person is extremely lucky. Yeah. Um, if, if you have. Uh, 10 or 12 grand to buy an ASIC, you might just want to buy Bitcoin. Especially unless you really know prices. what you're doing. Yeah. Let's get free energy um, and a tax deduction to, to boot. Um, mm-hmm. So, this uh, Cash App, see, like before we break off a of block, because Block mm-hmm. is also um, Cash App, Cash App's integrating Lightning Network. So, you know, last year we saw the big rise of Lightning. In El Salvador, uh, although I got to say I'm not really thrilled to see how it's playing out with a lot of that, but um, you know it's progress, I think. But we've seen like well, elaborate on that. I, I, what, what are you referring to with El Salvador? Yeah, well, there's been a lot of bugs with their uh, wallet and the Chivo wallet. There's a lot of speculation about surveillance. Um, there's been like, it's people are, it's hard to actually use the lightning version. And instead Chivo uses its own proprietary QR code, which does not work with open source lightning wallets. Uh, Mm -hmm. they do have a way to get that. Yeah. They do have a way to get it, but it's like, you got to go through a lot of extra steps and it's slow and buggy and seems intentionally designed to discourage it. Um, but say like, Hey, we offer it, you know, um, you know, and then the president of El Salvador, people have been critical of him and like kind of just being very dictator like so um yeah i think the the bitcoin city seems to be kind of a big rhetorical thing 
that I don't that, that, tr- believe. That might turn out to be cool. I, I I saw something that was a little bit concerning. I guess the uh, the new national stadium they're building is with a loan from China. Exactly. There's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So um, doing business with China is probably not a, a wise decision. But um, anyways, now, now people in El Salvador, they can use Strike, right? Yeah, yeah, they can use it as far as I know. And Strike did launch in Argentina now, too. So Lightning is expanding and good to see. I mean, like, I think the network doubled or tripled in capacity last year. So I think um, I think I saw 130 percent year over year growth. That's yeah, amazing. That's good. Yeah, I mean, but there's still only like less than four thousand Bitcoin um, on the network, so mm. really very very small. You know, there's altcoins that are substantially larger. Yeah, this is but a little bit of an off, off the cuff question, um, just because I know you know more about this than I do. But the the cost the cost to send really large amounts uh, of Bitcoin is uh, on the main network is really cheap right now. And it's yeah. gotten a lot cheaper throughout this year. Do you think Lightning Network has anything to do with that? Is smaller transactions sure, sure. migrate to the Lightning Network? Yeah, yeah up- definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and if you have like a large transaction, like if it's thousands of dollars or more, you should use on-chain, not Lightning, for two reasons. First, uh, on-chain is a flat fee. Lightning is a percentage-based fee. So if you send a million dollars, it's going to be a lot more. Uh, on mm-hmm. Lightning, that additionally, um, the channel sizes just are not that large. Most people don't have appropriately funded and balanced channels and directions, so you're likely to have some channel payment failures. Um, so any large transactions should typically be used on chain still. Yeah, yeah, and it's cheap to do on chain. So you're looking to send oh, fifteen yeah. million dollars. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't like, cost like that much. Few cents. <laughs> all right well let's uh let's talk about our boating accident of the week all right it's time for the boating accident of the week so this week's boating accident is none melania. other than melania the ex melania Trump. first lady of the united states of america Melania, do you, to, dude. do you want to read Melania's tweet? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It is widely reported that Bitcoin's market cap exceeds USD one trillion. Nope. <laughs> no, nah, I think it was like seven hundred billion at the time. Today marks the thirteenth anniversary of the Bitcoin Genesis block. Happy anniversary. Hashtag Satoshi Nakamoto, but wait, hashtag Melania NFT. Uh, <sighs> it's widely reported that Melania is not going to make it. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do your research, Melania. I don't even want to spend a lot of time on her. She's, dude. Uh, all right. Melania NFT. Let's move on. Yeah, I don't even... <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, it. You're, you're a birding accident of the yeah. week. But, uh, um... 
Uh, while we're while we're talking about yeah, we're, I, I sorry what what what, what were we NFTs NFTs so yeah. actually before we started recording I was like aren't those going down in value I have no idea what's going on in NFT I'm such a young boomer I just think they're really dumb and I just don't pay attention and I just had it in my head that they were like going out of favor and going down in value and I oh, guess that's no. not the case is it. <laughs> NFTs are all the rage, dude. Yeah. The doodles. The doodles, the world of women. Yeah. It's wild. The bored apes. Dude, Jimmy Fallon's got a bored ape. It's ridiculous. All of the, all of the celebrities, it's like a celebrity club to be in. Um Steph Curry, you know, like all of them, dude. Bored apes, huh? Yeah, and so like I, 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 you know, for those of you, I mean, everybody knows what NFTs are, I imagine, but you can. It's just art that you have. Basically, you own a contract on the blockchain, and it's tied to a piece of art. But digital art. art, yeah, that art is like stored on Amazon Web Services usually, uh, though it could be stored in like internet interplanetary. Bioservices, which is kind of like a decentralized storage network. Um, but yeah, like the picture is like still hosted somewhere. So like what you own is a contract that says you own a picture on this database that it's just kind of ridiculous. Um, but as long as you can get past the ridiculousness of it all, there's some cool applications. Like I was telling you the other day, like I think it would be cool to have catalog like, Catalyxy DAO and you, me, and like a couple of our friends like form like a venture and each put in like, I don't know, like $5,000 worth. And we issue like five tokens and each token is like, you know, one of five. Um, and each token would be worth like $5,000. And then we just have one wallet and we make decisions and you can vote with like the comp compound is like that, like, one of the original governance they've made it like free on github you can like fork their governance contract and you basically can make like their DAO, or you can like vote and we can like vote like we're going to dump the entire thing into bitcoin or we're going to buy this or whatever we can like vote on it and then it represents like your share of the pool and then if you wanted to it provides you exit liquidity because you could like sell that share of the pool to someone else so let's say you had one token you could sell like half a token or multiply it times a hundred, right? You know, or whatever you want to do. And then you can like get exit liquidity if you want to like slowly scale out of the fund or whatever, you know, and we don't need to take yeah. record of like, who's got the money. We just need to, if you got the token, you got, you got this much ownership relative to total supply. So like yeah. I've seen these DAOs buy artwork or NFTs. I wouldn't even call it art. Uh, and <laughs> I've seen them buy like NFTs and stuff and, um you saw the constitution one there yeah was we Wyoming, talked about that the the dow in wyoming they bought like 40 acres oh, of land yeah. so sounds like I, that kind I, of uh, yeah. <laughs> but to me it sounds yeah. like you know i i sounds, i saw something on twitter me, the other so. day that, that got me thinking it was called lynx dow and it was like golf related and i i, I don't really know i don't know what exactly they're doing but it got me brain, brainstorming and i was thinking 
you know, you could have like, you know, guest memberships at different clubs. You could have, uh, I think what I read Ski is resorts. They, they might try to, they Same might thing. try to build. Yeah. You can like take on Epic and icons, the Vail resorts and have like a DAO that has deals with different ski resorts or different golf clubs. Uh, I think links DAO, they were like, I think they might be trying to build their own golf course or something. But um, they're gonna buy, yeah, they're gonna buy a golf course. Buy a golf course, okay. <laughs> Pretty funny, yeah. So I, I think that would be cool. Now, like, will, will that be successful? Because people will, people that are into DAOs and NFTs and stuff, they're just gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna go travel across the country to play this golf course. That's a DAO. Like, is is that the thinking? Yeah. Interesting. Because they're a bunch of DJs. Bunch of DJs, yeah. DJs yeah. be DJs. So we'll we'll uh we'll wrap up today's episode with seeing the DJs. Uh, the trend in remote work has allowed for a lot of new and this is kind of wild opportunities people to live in. Otherwise, you know what you and I would have thought four or five years ago, uh, not even possible. Like places to live. Uh, Obviously, like you're in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico, uh, where they yep. have like the Earth ship, <laughs> whatever the hell that is. And, yep. and Arkansas, I think you were saying that. Okay, so we we saw a story today on Decrypt said, or I did. Um, it may have came out. It may have because you said you heard this already, but I saw today that Arkansas was offering ten thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin anyone who moved to like the area and was a remote worker above 24 years old had two years yep. experience and like lived there for a year so i'm like yep. all right you know i could do that like live there for a year like i like mm -hmm. the mountains um it's taxable though and like their income tax is higher so it's not like not all like what it seems um mm -hmm. but you were saying that this is something that they did already before yeah this i think back in like 2020 yeah, back in uh, early 2020, they were uh, trying to get young remote workers to end up in Arkansas. So I, th I think it was about $10,000. Um, and I remember reading about it and thinking about it. Um, but now they're making yeah, it more attractive. Flexibility then. And I, not, not at the time, and I'm not sure I would have ended up in Arkansas anyways, but I think it's really smart of them to say, hey, you can take it in Bitcoin. That's brilliant. It's the same well, $10,000. Yeah, it seems more attractive because the the for the fine print said if you take it in dollars, you get five grand up front and five grand mm -hmm. at the six month mark. Take it in okay. Bitcoin, you get the whole ten thousand in Bitcoin right away. And then you can have a boating accident and leave Arkansas. Oh no, boating <laughs> accident, Melania! <laughs> but yeah, you know, I've thought about it. I'm still kick, kicking kicking it around. Um, but the income tax there, so, you know, if it's 10,000 in the Bitcoin, you figure income tax is like 25%, that's 7,500 for fed and then another 6% for state. So you're really looking at like 7,000 and then yeah, the additional income tax on income is it more, it's going to be more than 7,000 if you make, you know. So 
Yeah. Depend. I don't know. It could, it could be cool though. And then they like, they say they give you a bike too, but they give you a $600 voucher for a bike. And I don't think you can get a good mountain bike for $600. Just saying. No, but you can put that, put that towards a $2,000 mountain bike, turns a $2,000 mountain bike into a $1,400 mountain bike. Right. But I didn't move to Arkansas to buy a $1,400 mountain bike. Like I went there yep. to get 10,000 of Bitcoin. <laughs> I didn't want to go there and buy a $1,400 mountain bike. But it would be pretty tight to do that. Yeah. yeah. The mountains aren't as steep cool. as Colorado, dude. So mountain biking here is terrifying. The, the <laughs> mountains are like, it's just like, <sighs> Arkansas, I feel like it's like, I'm sure there's some steep parts. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's wrap up today. Uh, just quickly talk about rates going up because not only has Bitcoin sold off a lot recently, but um, I, I don't want to say traditional markets have sold off, but certain pieces of the traditional markets have sold off. I don't know if anyone follows Kathy Wood and her ARC funds, probably a good example. Uh, she owns a lot of, uh, she, her, her funds buy a lot of non-profitable kind of moonshot businesses. If, uh, if they hit, you're going to get outsized returns, but um, they don't really, a lot of them don't have a clear path to profitability. And uh, those types of stocks, the stay-at-home stocks from 2020 is uh, kind of another cohort. Um, they've sold off drastically, like down 60 to 90%, depending on what you're looking at. And um, I think part of so that is the, market, the, the market's afraid of rates rising, right? Uh, we just had a 7% inflation uh, reading for 2021. So inflation's at 7%, the 10 years at 1.75%. So you have negative real yields of 5.25, uh, 5.25% right now. Um, and so the, the, according to the Federal Reserve, they're going to raise interest rates four times in 2022. And Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, he thinks that they could rates, uh, raise rates six to seven times this year. Typically, when they raise rates, they're talking 0.25% increases. And, um, and so that could push, you know, if they do what they say they're going to do, that's a full percent increase in interest rates. So we could end the year close to 3% rates. And um, obviously the market thinks they might actually do that because it's the selling off. But uh, they did raise rates a couple of times back in 2018. And I know you remember between mm -hmm. August and Christmas Eve of 2018, the S&P 500 fell 20%. Oh, yep. I remember. And we were like, technically, we're down 19.8. So we didn't hit the bear market. It wasn't a bear market. It was, yep, 19 and change. So, the longest bull uh, market in history continues. Yep. Um, and the Fed chair then was Jerome Powell. The Fed chair now is Jerome Powell. And I happen to think the market would take a uh, take a beating if they yeah. stuck to their guns and raised interest rates four times this year. So that tells me they probably won't. This is either wishful thinking or uh, some form of virtue signaling uh, on their part. But um, 
I don't think they can raise interest rates four times this year. Yeah. No, they won't. They won't. They'll crash it with two. They'll crash and it with two. They may crash it with yeah. one. Yeah. We were talking about this yesterday, like kind of prepping for this show today, uh, how everything's being pulled forward. Like markets used to react when the rates would change. Now they react at, or a few years ago, they would react at like the specter of change. Now they react at the thought of the premise of the, you know, like the idea that the, 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 the thought that just the idea, the, the planning of the discussion to think about raising rates is like what sends it down. So it's like, mm-hmm. it's just becoming more and more reactionary and more volatile. Um, cause it's more leverage, you know? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, everything's kind of speeding up. And um, also just one other thing I just thought of, con- consumer sentiment is lower now than it was in the depths of 2020, which just absolutely blows my mind. Now, of course, there's inflation now and there wasn't inflation then, but consumer sentiment has no business being that the, the consumer has the best balance sheet. I mean, they've got a, the average consumer in the United States has a really good balance sheet right now. And... Yeah. In 2020, there was inflation, but it was monetary inflation. Now it's it's trickled down to to price inflation. Right, right. Well, whoever is responding to those consumer sentiment surveys that University of Michigan does and saying that now is worse than the depths of 2020, go for a hike, get some sun, turn off CNN, turn off Fox News, and, and and that's my my advice. And for turn today. on Value Stack Podcast. Yeah. This has been episode yes. 13. thirteen. Thanks to our our our, our sponsors, uh, Coinbeast. Check them out at coinbeast.com. Shorter episode today, but you know, last one was super long. So we're gonna hit you back in a few weeks. See you. That, see you guys then. All right. Yep. Yeah.